Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Hey, what's up, everyone? And thank you for dropping into another episode here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm joined by the co-founders of one of the newest brands that I'm working with, a franchise called Homestretch. So I'm joined today by Nick Lobert and Derek Schumann. Um, Nick, Derek, thank you guys for being here. Really excited to uh, talk about Homestretch and, and learn a little bit more about your uh, your up and coming franchise brand. Yeah, thanks for having us, Wes. We're very excited as well. So, so tell us a little bit more because I mean, I, I was literally just on a what we call a launch call uh, earlier this week. The the consulting network that I'm a part of, Franchise. Um, you know, we're we're constantly on the lookout for great, in some cases, new brands, in other cases, you know, brands that are are more established, but you know, brands that we can work with. And um, you guys are are the newest brand uh, that's part of the Franchise portfolio. Uh, with Homestretch. So give us kind of the, the I don't know, 30,000 foot view of what Homestretch is, what you guys uh, specialize in, and then, you know, definitely want to give the listeners a chance to hear a little bit of your story and how you guys got to the point of deciding to franchise your business. Yeah. So Homestretch at a 30,000 view, we are a home preparation service company. So that is kind of a new term. Um, it's not something people Google a lot, yeah. uh, but what we, what we specialize in is getting homes prepared to sell. Mm. Um, and with that, there's five main categories. Um, we focus on all the cosmetics, so yeah. we're not doing major remodels. You know, we're not spending $75,000 on new kitchens, new bathrooms. It's we're emptying the homes, taking care of all the trash and donation. We're painting the homes, whether it's interior, exterior, decks, fences. We're doing landscape cleanup in the homes, you know, make the curb appeal look a little better. Yeah. Then we offer, we offer carpeting, luxury vinyl plank. And then we also do light handyman work and home okay. cleaning. So that's, that's home stress at a 30,000 view. So basically a one-stop shop for anyone that's preparing to put their house on the market for just all the little, you know, wear and tear type of stuff. It sounds like that, that happens, you know, over the course of, of living in a home, you guys are there to come in and and take care of all of that so that when the house goes on the market, it's, it's got more of that curb appeal and a lot of the aesthetic, uh, you know, aspects of the home have already been, been taken care of. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I like to think of it like, you know, everyone's sold a car, you know, not everyone has sold a home, but yeah. at some point you've sold a car and it's like, you're not going to sell your car with trash on the floorboard and you're not going to sell your car with a flat tire and you didn't wash it, yeah. you know, to get the best price, you should probably go get your car detailed, you know, vacuum out the car, you know, wax it, shine the wheels, make it look as good as possible because you're going to get the best price. Because when you go to buy a car, if you see a scratch, you see a flat tire, you automatically as a buyer, it's kind of the psychology of a buyer. You start thinking in your head, well, I can get a deal on this discount. I can, yeah, yeah, I can offer a lower price. So our main goal is let's eliminate the negatives in the property. Cosmetically speaking, say for example, the foyer is a dark purple, you know, nothing against dark purple, but it's just not, it's not a neutral, not a trendy color. Yeah. So it's, Let's let's eliminate that dark purple and go with a very neutral color to make that buyer say, man, I, I don't really have anything to negotiate with. I want to offer full asking price. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. And I actually sent my wife a link to your website 
while I was on that launch call the other day, we're building a new house right now and uh, we'll be moving probably in May of next year. Been in the house that that we're currently in for seven years, you know, three kids. Um, it's going to be a nightmare uh, when it's time to pack everything up and get the house ready to sell. And so, you know, this is this is really hitting home with me because a a service like this that's comprehensive um, versus either having to try to do it all yourself or just, you know, kind of throw your hands up and say, well, it is what it is. And then, you know, devalue what you're going to be able to get for the the home um, or having to, you know, try to work with five or six different you know, contractors or companies to, to get it all done. Um, so it's, it's a great concept. Where did you guys come up with, with the idea? How did this come about to be a business in the first place for you? Yeah. Um, Nick and I were actually childhood friends, which is kind of a crazy story. We grew up in elementary school together, played basketball together. And then we ended up going to different high schools and kind of lost touch over the years. So I ended up moving to Washington, D.C. after college. Nick moved down to Charleston. You know, you kind of go your separate ways in your 20s. And then in 2015, I decided to move back to Cincinnati to kind of start a family. And I was interviewing for this company uh, that was an online auction house that took people's possessions and put them online and try to monetize them oh, as much okay. as possible when they're downsizing or going through a divorce or death in the family. Mm -hmm. And I show up to the interview waiting and lo and behold, this guy walks right in front of me and I'm like, oh, Lobert, I haven't seen you in like 15 years. Uh, and that's great. So we got jobs at the same company. I kind of rekindled the friendship. We started working together again. Uh, the chemistry was there immediately. And I thought to myself, I was like, man, Nick is so good at sales. He's so good with customers. Like that kind of really complements some of the stuff I'm good at, like strategy and operations and financials. And, you know, I'd been an entrepreneur before. So in my mind, I'm always thinking about the next thing. Like, you know, yeah. what's what's the next move for us? And I was like, man, if, if there is an opportunity out there, I think Nick and I would make this dynamic team. So while we're working for this company, you know, every day we kind of notice these clients of ours that were in stressful situations. Maybe their mom passed away and they're living out of town. And, you know, we helped them deal with the stuff in the home, which was great. But more often than not, they'd come to us and say, what do I do with this house? Like, I, you know, I'm 200 miles away. Like I got to sell this thing. It's full yeah. of junk. Like it's outdated. Like I'm stressed to the nines. Help me. Yeah. And that's when we kind of had this light bulb moment of like, man, you know, selling people's stuff is great, but the real problem out there is that homes are people's biggest assets. Mm -hmm. Like they need to maximize the one opportunity or two opportunities in their lifetime to maximize the value of selling their house. And they need kind of that one stop white glove service to usher them through this process, particularly when they're under a lot of stress. Yeah. So that's when we had that aha moment and the timing kind of worked out for us in 2019 where, you know, I had my entrepreneurial itch going again. Nick was ready to try to kind of take it on and we left and started Homestretch and here we are today. So that was 2019 that, that you guys broke away from the, the company that you were working at together started home stretch um talk to me a little bit about that those early days of you know really getting the business up and running so i assume that was locally in the the cincinnati area yep yeah so we we came up with the concept we were like all right people need help cosmetically getting their homes ready to sell um like take for example your situation you're in if i was doing a consultation with you i would tell you hey west Grab everything when your when your new home is built. Grab everything you want, everything you need for the new house. Move it to the new home, and you can leave all your trash, all your donations. Don't worry about anything other than what you're taking to the new place. And I literally will see the stress kind of melt off your shoulders. Yeah, because then yeah. then you're just focused on the stuff you like. Yeah, you know. You, you can get rid of some of kids' toys, uh, the junk that's been in the basement, you know, grandma's dishes that you've had for 20 years. Yeah. Um, you leave all that stuff. I'll empty the home. Then I'll come in and paint. Then we'll carpet. Then we'll clean. Then we'll get it listed. Yeah. And you're like, man, I don't have to worry about that past problem. So, you know, back to the early days, um, we knew the concept was a good concept. 
But then it's like, well, how well is it going to be received in the market? You, yeah. know, you just never know until you, you never know until you do it and start sure. hitting the ground and hit, hitting the phones. So we started on a Monday and I knew realtors were going to be our best referral source mm. because at a, at a minimum, every single home needs to be emptied and it needs to be cleaned. Yeah. Cause you can't, you can't close a house that's dirty and full of stuff. Um, no one's going to walk into that house. So, and then they also need paint, they need carpet. Um, so we started cold calling on a Monday and my background's real estate and construction, been in sales, been in and around that for 20 years. So I knew the realtors and I've been selling to realtors for a while now. I knew they'd be a good referral source. So we start cold calling on a Monday and one of the agents I talked to said, Hey, I got a house that needs to be emptied. I need carpet cleaning. I need the house cleaned. Um, so I said, great. We, I can get out there in an hour and give you a quote. So I was there by lunchtime, worked up a quote. We got it to him that afternoon. He goes, when can you start? And it's like, well, I can start tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I got no clients. Uh, so we started 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning. We wrapped up Tuesday afternoon and then it just kind of took off, you know, it was like, and then he told two or three agents about it. Yeah. And then I kept, I kept cold calling. And then before you know it, you know, we got multiple jobs per week and, you know, then we, we kind of strategically at certain points said, all right, let's hire a person now. Let's hire a person now. Um, so we just kind of grew it, you know, grassroots, me, Derek and a truck with our, was the humble beginnings. That's a great story. Yeah. It makes it makes a lot of sense that realtors would be a great starting point. And I love a business like this where there's so much opportunity to, you know, build these referral partnerships and, you know, these relationships that can continue sending business to you, you know, as, as long as you're doing a good job and providing, you know, a great service. Versus the type of business where, you know, you're constantly having to, you know, invest large amounts of marketing dollars into it. Um, you know, and maybe there's a component of that for for this business. But, you know, anytime that that angle is there with, you know, whether it be real estate agents or contractors or whatever the case is, you know, you need franchise owners that are going to be willing to go out and develop those relationships. But assuming you've got the the right type of owners and they've got realistic expectations, I would imagine the, the business is positioned to, you know, operate in a more profitable manner than, than many businesses are where, you know, you're essentially buying your customers. Yeah, it's 100% right. I mean, we've experimented with Google ads and social media spending and all that normal stuff in the early days as we we're trying to figure out the formula. Yeah. We learned a couple things. I mean, one, like the clients that would respond to those type of ads typically didn't truly need us. Like they might just be living in their home and like, hey, can you come over and mulch my backyard? It's like, <laughs> yeah, we can, but that doesn't really help our brand. Like that doesn't really help the home preparation market that we're trying to get ourselves into. Yeah. And those clients care about one thing and that's price. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's not necessarily a good sustainable business. We're just competing on price and spending a ton on advertising to get those type of leads. Definitely. So in those early days, you know, with Nick's background in real estate, to your point, it was like, man, if we can just build human relationships with realtors and knock it out of the park, and solve a huge problem that these folks are dealing with on a constant basis, you kind of build in that annuity, right? Because they come back again and again and again. And these top agents, I mean, they can sell 50 plus homes a year. And if we can get a percentage of those homes that need home stretches services, you have a nice built-in revenue stream kind of going that just keeps growing and growing and growing, um, which is great for us. Well, and it's such a win-win, you know, if you're a realtor, I imagine a lot of times this is a pain point for them, right? Because they know what the house needs to look like or should look like before it's ready to go on the market. But I imagine, you know, in many cases they have clients that whether it's they're dragging their feet because they don't want to do it themselves or they don't really know where to start in terms of, you know, finding all the different uh, companies to come in and handle what needs to be done this is about as turnkey as it gets for a realtor to say, Hey guys, here's kind of, you know, what I'm seeing that needs to be done. 
I've got this great company, worked with them numerous times. They'll come out. Sounds like part of your process is to do a free consultation where you kind of evaluate and then make recommendations and then, you know, obviously provide pricing based on those recommendations. Uh, and, and if it's helping the house sell for more, that's a higher commission for the realtor. You know, it's a no brainer. Um, and, and it doesn't cost the realtor anything to, to loop you guys in. Exactly right. Uh, you need to come sell for us. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got. Uh, I'm going to try to sell. Man. I'm going to try to sell Wilmington before May, so uh, so we can we can yeah. use home stretch for our move. Yeah, perfect. No, you're you're exactly right. It's I, I actually there's a third win in there too. I, I like to say it's the win win win. Yeah. Um, I just did a, a transaction recently, and as is the realtors thinking three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, it was a sad situation. Someone had, you know, unexpectedly passed mm. and they needed paint. They needed carpet. They needed the vanities painted. They needed the kitchen cabinets painted. They needed all new light fixtures in the house. So we sat down with the client and the realtor and we just, you know, I let the realtor discuss the comps and what's the as is price. What's the price if we fix it up? Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, 350 as is. It could go 360, it could go 340, but that's yeah. where we're thinking if we just sell it in the current condition. And the client, you know, was reluctant of spending $25,000. It's a lot of money, but the home needed the work. Um, so we spent the money, we finished in 12 days. You know, it took us 12 days to wow. paint, carpet, um, yeah. all the vanities, all the light fixtures. We move really quickly. That's what we pride ourselves on. Um, agent lists the home for 415. And ends up selling for $440,000. So he spends $25,000 to make a $90,000 profit. And Yeah, the numbers always, pencil out on that. It, exactly. <laughs> and I always, I always joke with, if your financial advisor came to you and said, hey, give me 25 grand today. And in 60 days, I'm going to hand you a check for 90 grand. Yeah. You would say, can I, can I give you 100? Can I, you, you'd be like, I want to yeah, do this Yeah, can month. I do that? 10 times, please. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a win, win, win. Cause the client makes more money Yeah, um, great point. You know, for the estate, for the situation. And we've seen tons of these transactions go that way. The agent sells the home quicker and yes, yep. they do sell it for a higher price. And then we perform a good service and we make a profit on it as well. Yeah. So it's, it, it's a triple win and we, you know, that's why we love the business so much. And it's, and, and speaking of the contractors, it's, you know, there, it's, there can be sometimes when you're hiring a painter or a plumber or an electrician, it's hard to get them out there. Sometimes it's hard to even get a, get a quote. So that's yeah, why the realtors, back. yeah, the realtors, our standard is you'll have a quote in your hand within 24 hours. Um, mm-hmm. If we're there 8 a.m. on a Tuesday, most likely you're going to get a quote the same day. Um, worst case, you're going to get a quote in the morning. And we always want to start the projects within a week. You know, that is our goal. So we're not six months out. We're not three months out. So then the agent feels confident, man, they can get a quote quick. They can start quickly. And oh, I can list it in 10 days, not three months from now. Yeah. Um, so that's what they, the agents really like. And when we started this, Derek didn't have a ton of construction background, but he's a brilliant. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's a brilliant finance and strategy. And he just has this vision of business. That's like, it's amazing to see. Um, he goes, Nick, what do we need to do to be better than our competition? And I said, we need to show up on time. We need to do what we say we're going to do. And we need to give them a quality product. And he's used to the tech world. And he's like, what else? What else? <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's it. That's it. Quality, yeah. show up on time, yeah. do what we say we're going to do. Um, he's kind of used to that rat race of like, you got to update your app every two months. Yeah, sure. All the bells and whistles that, that you need to be competitive. And, and I mean, we were chatting before we started recording and I was telling you guys, I love these types of businesses and I love, you know, opening people's eyes to, you know, other types of franchises out there than just, you know, what so many people think of when they first think of a, a franchise business and, I think a lot of people are drawn to these types of, you know, call it home service, home improvement type franchises 
you know, once they they really start digging in and doing some research because they do realize that, yeah, there may be competition, but usually the bar is very low in terms of what you need to do to be better than the competition. And one of you mentioned earlier, you know, early on, you didn't want to get into this situation of where you're only competing on price, right? And I think that's one of the the biggest things with a business like this is, you know, you never want to be in a race to the bottom in terms of your your price. So, you know, if you can show up when you say you're going to show up, be responsive, communicate well, provide, you know, a great product or service in this type of industry, just doing those basic things nine times out of 10 is going to exceed the customer's expectations, right? And now you don't have to compete on price because you're you're exceeding expectations. And I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that, you know, would look at it and say, you know what, I just, I can't afford it or I'm not willing to spend the money. They're going to take more of a DIY approach or, you know, they're going to, you know, try to hodgepodge it together with different contractors to save a few bucks. But again, you don't need everyone to be your customer in a business like this. You need to know how to get in front of the right type of customers that will see the value and be willing to pay for it. Um, so, yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me, but I could see, you know, coming from the the tech world being like, that's it. Like, that's all we have to do to, <laughs> to beat our competition. Yeah, no, yeah. that is. It, oh, go on, Dirk, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, but that's, it's the beauty of the business. And again, like creating a brand like Homestretch and trying to focus very exclusively in this home preparation market. Uh, to your point, Wes, it just, it kind of puts us in front of the clients that actually need us. And when clients and your referral partners need you, it just sets the bar so much higher in terms of us being able to deliver on those expectations and create this nice little flywheel of having a great referral base clients that are thrilled with us and then, you know, getting the margins that we need to get to have a healthy business. Yeah. It's, it's a great example to me of a, you know, you guys are a business that saw a problem or a gap in the market and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to solve this problem. So as you guys were getting started, you know, did you, did you have a pretty good sense of the different services that you would need to offer or how has that kind of evolved over the years? Is it something where you kind of have layered on additional services as you've identified more needs as you've started working with more clients? hundred percent. When we first started Homestretch, we just thought we we're going to focus on removing items in people's homes because that was the big problem that we had saw in our previous company is just, man, like, you know, there's a whole house full of junk or donatables that people were just struggling with. So we said, hey, maybe we can position ourselves on this. And then we were like, well, we probably should add something else like cleaning and painting. So those are the three services that we started out with, junk removal, painting and cleaning. And we built you know, a pretty good business in that first year where Nick and I were doing all of it ourselves and bringing in some you know, help as well. Um, but then it started to evolve where we saw more opportunities just kind of in that cosmetic improvement lane of, wow, you know, flooring is certainly something that we've seen a lot in these houses. How do we offer that? So in 2020, we started offering flooring. So carpet installation, carpet removal, LVP. And then we kind of got further down the chain and through our referral partners, they kept asking us, hey, could you pop out this light fixture and put something more modern in? Or hey, when you're painting these kitchen cabinets, could you replace the, the knobs? Just really simple cosmetic improvements like that, that we thought, yeah, we should add that under the portfolio added landscape cleanup. So mm. the suite of services that we offer now was an evolution over the years of just kind of talking to our clients, talking to our referral partners and seeing what they truly want. And yeah. now we feel like, you know, we have the great suite of services that cover all the cosmetic improvements that our clients and referral partners need to, you know, get top dollar for their house. Yeah, that makes sense. I imagine in that you've also probably thought about some different services to add to the the suite of services and and ended up saying no for for one reason or another. And I know you mentioned earlier, you know, you guys don't get into like structural type of remodeling and and to me that makes a lot of sense cuz then you've got contractors licenses and permits and inspections and and everything that comes with that. 
Um, are there any other examples of things you've looked at adding and said, nah, you know what, this, this doesn't make sense for, for what we're trying to, to do and offer to our clients? Yeah, we've, we've kind of tinkered around with a lot of stuff and learned our lessons over the years. Um, you know, for a while we added probably too much handyman work, you know, said mm-hmm. yes to a lot of handyman work because it's a massive need, but it's, it's similar to the home. Um, it, there gets to a point where there's diminishing return. Um, so you can spend 20 grand on the home and increase the value by a hundred grand. And you can spend 30 grand on the home, still increase it by a hundred grand. Yeah. Um, you got to get the big core, like heavy lifting projects done. That's floors and walls. Floors and walls are 90% of what you see. Um, you know, we've done a couple of times where we change out all the hardware in the house, you know, every doorknob, every hinge. And it sounds easy and it is easy, but you know, there's 75 doors in a house. That takes a um, while. It adds up. There's not a lot of margins in it. Um, no one really wants to spend five grand to switch out all the hardware, but let the new buyer do that. That's kind of a mm-hmm. weekend project. So we kind of look at the house of like, let's get the big, the big hairy projects. Let's get those done first. And then the new buyer, if they want to switch out doorknobs, they can do that. Yeah, um, they may have a different much. taste in in the hardware that they want than than what you would do. Exactly, and so we've looked at other stuff like countertops, hard, you know, refinishing yeah. hardwood floors. Um, I can transform a house in two weeks. I can empty, paint it, carpet, LVP it in two weeks. You know, um, redoing hardwood floors that takes two weeks. It's you got a couple days of sanding, you got a couple days of staining, a day of polyurethane. And then you got four or five days of, you know, dry time. Yeah. Um, so, and we also, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be an inch deep and a mile wide. Um, if you keep adding too many services before you know it, then you're a general contractor. And then if you're a general contractor, why not just build homes? And then you're one of 500. Where does it stop? You know, even, yeah. It, 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 it's the same. That's why I say it's the same as the house. The, you yeah. have to determine a stopping point of this is where we're going to stop with our project. And we have, to, we do the same thing internally with our services. We have to stop at some point to make it quick, concise, profitable, and great for the client. Yeah. Makes all the sense in the world to me. Um, so at what point did you guys realize, Hey, this is, this could be something bigger than, you know, just us building this business here in the Cincinnati area and and at what point did franchising it pop onto your radar or were you guys thinking bigger, you know, in, in the very beginning? Yeah, I mean, I think we'd be lying and we thought it was going to be what it is when we started. Like our goal in month one was to survive, just like most small businesses. Like <laughs> sure. we actually just wanted a client to pay us money to prove that this concept made sense. That was no kind doubt. of where our focus was. And then COVID happened kind of in the first year of business. So I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, the real estate market locked up, like Nick and I were kind of in survival mode, but that helped us because it really made us lean and mean. It really made us kind of hone in like the business fundamentals. And we came out of that thing like a machine. So kind of, you know, the first year after COVID, when the business really started to pick up steam in Cincinnati, that's when Nick and I started getting serious about like, hey, like this concept has legs, like we want to see if it could work in another city outside of Cincinnati and with people that aren't Nick or myself kind of pulling the strings. Yeah. So we identified Columbus, Ohio as kind of the first expansion city for us in 2021. And the whole goal was to be like, Hey, like, can we hire two people, give them this playbook and see if they can kind of grow this, this concept up in a new market. That's not Cincinnati. So we hired a general manager, we hired a project manager, we trained them up and kind of, you know, pushed them in the deep end and said, Hey guys, like, see what you can do. Yeah. And it works And the same, the real estate agents up there had the exact same problems that they had down here. Uh, the clients had the exact same issues. The business fundamentals were exactly the same. So that's when Nick and I started getting super excited of like, Oh man, like this thing can work anywhere. It's the same problems you're going to have all over the country. Yeah. So that's where our minds started kind of spinning of like, all right, where should we go from here? And we had two roads we could have gone through. 
we could have continued to kind of expand markets ourselves, you know, continue to open corporate locations across the country. Maybe we did 20 of them, maybe 30 of them that we all owned. But we did that at our previous employer. We kind of saw how that worked. We okay. saw the challenges that came with, you know, having one central headquarters try to manage somebody in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. And for a service business like this, that's so tied to the community, so yeah. personalized. For us, we're like, we need to have business owners to really make this thing take off. People that care about the product and services, people that have a vested interest in the success. And that's where we started becoming more familiar with franchising. Uh, Nick and I had no experience in it before. It was something we did a lot of research on. And as we learned more about it, it was just like, man, with this home stretch concept and the brand that we're creating, if we find the right people to kind of jump into this, it's going to catch on like fire. And that's where, you know, late 2022, the pieces started coming together where we, we figured out franchising, we got a little bit deeper. And then, you know, we were introduced to the Repin Group, which was which was a huge milestone kind of in our company's maturation process where we met Nick and Rob over there. Yep. And we hit it off with those guys and we just kind of developed instant chemistry. And that's when we kind of made the decision of like, if we partner with these guys with what we have going on, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, here we are today launching franchises and we couldn't be more excited. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. For what it's worth, in my opinion, you guys couldn't have partnered with anyone better to, you know, help you along the franchising journey. And, you know, this, this, comes up so often on this podcast. So, I mean, you guys are are definitely what I would consider an emerging brand, right? Because you're just starting your, your franchise journey. And so naturally, a lot of people are going to look at, you know, a new and emerging franchise opportunity as more risky than, you know, a franchise that's more established or a little more baked, right? And you know, what I have to tell a lot of people or, or, you know, at least talk through with people is that, look, yes, in, in many cases, a, an emerging franchise can be more risky because you don't have as much of a track record. You don't have data, right? In the case of a, a, a brand new franchise, you may not even have any franchise owners yet that you can speak with that can, you know, share their feedback on the support that they've gotten from the franchisor, but there's also so many benefits that come with, you know, looking at an emerging brand territory being a, a simple example of that, right? I, I think a lot of people are disappointed to find out just how difficult it can be to find good, viable territory 
available for mature established brands in most markets across the country and so that's a big deal there's also you know plenty of other benefits that that can come with it and so what you guys have done and this is what i i really try to explain to people is you've kind of created this opportunity where uh, a franchisee is almost getting the best of both worlds right because they're getting you know the two of you as the founders right and and you guys are clearly you know experts in this industry that you're almost kind of creating right you've been hands on in the business right so you've you've walked in the shoes that they as a franchise owner would walk in uh, but as you mentioned earlier you know when when you first started thinking about franchising this wasn't something you guys had experience in so you did the smart thing and you went out and found you know some people and some partners that are very experienced and have a great track record in building franchise brands. And so now you've got that franchise experience and leadership. You've got the industry and the business experience and leadership with the two of you and and all the benefits that can come within an emerging brand. Now, still doesn't mean it's going to be the right opportunity for everyone, right? There, There's definitely people out there that probably should you know, plug into a franchise that is a little more established and is going to be, you know, maybe a little more turnkey. Um, but just wanted to point that out, you know, because I, I do know a lot of people, they hear emerging franchise or we just started franchising earlier this year and they almost kind of tune out, right? Because they're like, oh no, that's that's way too risky. And it certainly can be, but it also doesn't have to be. And I think you guys have you know, put yourselves in a really good position where, you know, you partnered with some some really smart franchising people and you guys are going to avoid a lot of mistakes that that a lot of young franchisors make when they they haven't gone out and found those types of partners. Yeah, we're excited. We're very excited for the opportunity. I mean, Derek and I, we both, you know, we think very highly of ourselves, obviously, as founders of the company and <laughs> Derek's a great strategic, great financial person, great operator. I'm more on the sales, customer service side. And I'm excited because I think there's going to be markets out there that blow us out of the water. Yeah. I think there's going to be, you know, like, like heck, I might buy a um, franchise of my own in Austin, Texas. You know, like that's a, that's a boom town, boom you know, market. like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going crazy. I think, I do think there's going to be some opportunities in maybe bigger cities or more, you know, transitional cities. I lived in, you know, Derek was in DC and I was in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Both of those are very, a lot of people move in and out of those cities really frequently. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati is more of your conservative town, mm -hmm. you know, raise your family for 20 years, maybe, uh, you know, downsize, go to Florida. I'm excited to see what can a DC do. Um, you know, that that's, it, you're, you're exactly right. The potential is it's limitless. Um, if you're willing to, you know, put in some business development time and network with realtors, um, they haven't heard of this concept before. And they're excited to hear that someone can do these five services. They can get a quote out quickly. Uh, you know, we just started Indianapolis a couple months ago. And not to get into the weeds on numbers, but I think we've, you know, we've performed within 45 days. We already have a big chunk, or not a big chunk, I'll let Derek speak to the numbers, but we, we've probably done, how many jobs have we done in Indianapolis already? 15. Yeah, we've done 15 jobs. In 45 days. Wow. Uh, like 60 plus, but yeah. Still. 60, yeah. Still, because I mean. Days. These are like not little one day jobs that we're talking about here, right? These are projects that you're handling for for these people. So those numbers are are impressive. And you know, I think the other thing, and, and this is again something I I try to, you know, coach people on a little bit when when we're talking about just different types of franchises and and franchises at various stages of their their evolution, you know, some people won't to to be able to to operate more entrepreneurially in a franchise, right? Well, something like a home stretch in the early days, I would imagine, 
you know, obviously you guys have a playbook, you've got systems and processes, you're going to be able to tell your new franchisees what works, what doesn't work. But, you know, to your point, as you expand and get into to other markets with different dynamics, uh, you're going to have franchisees that, you know, probably help the brand continue to evolve as well. And, uh, you know, just continue to get better and better. And so that's another thing to think about. You know, if you go out and buy a McDonald's franchise, like there's there's not a whole lot of room for innovation or thinking outside of the box. Like they've pretty much got it down to a science. Like you're probably not bringing ideas to McDonald's corporate that they're going to implement, right? Um, but, you know, in some of these younger more emerging brands, a lot of times there is some opportunity for that. And so someone that is a little more entrepreneurial minded can really thrive in in that type of an environment. Yeah, it's an excellent point. It's all about finding the right people and the right personality. And, you know, our our cultural DNA is all about innovation. And we're thrilled to have, you know, hopefully a bunch of franchisees that are looking outside the box and thinking of better ways, you know, to do things. And we're going to love to take that feedback and hopefully kind of institutionalize and spread it out there. So yeah, to your point, it's different from McDonald's, but for the right person that actually wants to build a business, build something from the ground up and kind of, you know, create that legacy, I think it's a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah, I agree. So, so let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what you guys are really looking for in your franchise owners. And and I know it's, it's very early, right? So you may not know exactly what it is, but like, what are some of the, the key characteristics or traits that you think are, are most important for someone to be successful in this business? Um, one of you mentioned earlier, I think Nick, you mentioned, you know, obviously it's gotta be someone that's comfortable you know, getting out there in the community and doing some of the networking and developing relationships with, you know, key referral sources, primarily realtors. Beyond that, what do you think are some of the the biggest traits that will translate to success for your franchise owners? You want to take this, Derek? Or you want me to take it? Go for it, man. All right. So I guess there's, there's two, um, there's kind of, there's owner operator, someone who's going to be, they want to work in the business, you know, 40, 50 hours a week. Um, then there's the kind of semi-absentee owners. And if you, you break down, Derek and I are full-time day-to-day operations in Cincinnati. And then Indianapolis and Columbus, we're kind of the semi, semi-absentee franchise owners. So as a franchise owner, it depends if they're, I guess we'll talk day-to-day operations if they want to be in the business full-time first, you know, what we're looking for there versus a semi-absentee owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so day-to-day operations, one, you got to be good with people um, would be the first thing. You got to be good with realtors. You got to be good with clients. You got to be good with your contractors. Um, and two is you got to be a problem solver. You got to be able to adapt. You know, things happen. Um, you might spill a little bit of paint on someone's handrail going up the stairs and they're going through a stressful situation. They just lost their mom. They're going through a divorce. They're downsizing. No matter what, moving stressful. There's no way around it. Moving is a pain and people are stressed to the max. So you got to always put yourself in their shoes and realize when they call you, and maybe they shouldn't be at a level eight of anger because you got one drop of paint on a handrail because you can just wipe it up with a rag, not sure. a big deal. But you got to remember, hey, they're stressed. Mm-hmm. They may have just, you know, they may have just buried their mom a month ago. Um, yeah. You know, so it's like, hey, I'm so sorry that we got paint on your handrail. We'll be there in the next 20 minutes to fix it. Um, so we're looking for people that are willing to hustle, willing to grind. Um, willing to put the work in. Because uh, if you do put the work in, it's a very, very successful company. Um, and it is doing, the, at the end of the day, do the right thing. If you make a mistake, own it. Hey, yeah. I'm so sorry we did that. Um, if you didn't make a mistake, let them know why it's not a mistake. Explain it to them. Maybe not everyone understands paint 
and flooring and carpet the way that you do. It's a great um, point. Yeah. So it's just do the right thing repeatedly and that will pay off. Um, you do got to be good at scheduling. So there's kind of two paths. There's the business development path and the operations path. If you have been an operator for 20 years, you'll probably have to hire a business development person. If yep. you've been the business development person for 20 years, you're probably going to have to hire someone who's detailed, organized, and great with scheduling. Um, then if we go to the semi-absentee owner, what we're looking for there is probably a proven track record of building and growing teams. Yeah. Um, which Derek and I have done in the past. So we were looking for certain people in Indianapolis, certain people in Columbus to make the market, you know, successful. Um, so if you hire the right people, our strategy is you hire the right people and you, you give them a leash. You know, we treat everyone like adults. We don't micromanage. You know, you're an adult. We're going to pay you well. And if you do something wrong, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, and let's pull you back in line and say, hey, this is the strategy we need to go down. Um, so semi-absentee owner, someone who's proven of building a team, hands-on day-to-day operator, Either if you're great at sales, hire an ops person. If you're great at ops, hire a salesperson. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, uh, I like how you kind of broke out like the two key sides of the business, right? So as an owner, you need to have some self-awareness to say, all right, which of these plays better to my interest and strengths? And I need to hire for for the opposite of that or for the other role. Um, Exactly. And my, my strength is sales. Now, could I run this by myself um, in the in the first in the beginning phase? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because you're only doing you're doing two, three, four jobs a month. It's one job a week, but it does get to a point where I need a full time operator. Yeah. Um, you know, and and vice versa with Derek. He's more on the ops financial side. Could he run it by himself? Absolutely. But eventually, you're going to be too busy running operations where you're not doing the business development at that point. Yeah, and you want to make sure as an owner you don't get sucked into spending too much of your time on parts of the business that are not the best use of your time as the owner. Um, I know one of the biggest questions and and even concerns that a lot of people have as they start evaluating different business opportunities is, you know, number one, something like this, um, you know, someone may be sitting there thinking, well, this this all makes sense, but like, I'm not a handy person, right? Like I don't have any business painting someone's house or, you know, ripping up carpet or or putting in flooring. I mean, it sounds to me that that's really not the role of the owner. And look, if you, if you can do some of that, like to do some of that and want to do some of it in the beginning, great, but long-term that's not the best use of the franchise owner's time, meaning it's not a prerequisite for, you know, someone to be, be a good candidate to own a franchise like this. Yeah. Just slap my face as a poster child for that statement. Because yeah. <laughs> again, my, my construction knowledge is limited. It still is. I mean, I see the e-myth book on your shelf back there. So you know yeah. how it is. Like we want people that want to work on the business. We're not necessarily looking for people that want to work in the business. So I think it's great if you're handy and you like working with your hands. Like there's certainly a place for that in this business. But I think for a home stretch franchise to be truly successful, you want an owner that has the vision, that wants to work on the business and hire the appropriate people to scale up, not necessarily spend eight hours a day painting or putting up handyman lights or removing carpet. Like that's just going to kind of cap your upside. So that type of mentality is what we're always looking for. And if you're like me and you have zero construction knowledge, don't be deterred. I mean, all that stuff we figured out in the playbook and it might set you up, you know, for better success if you're somebody who's great at sales or great at operations and can put the pieces in place. Yeah, no yeah, doubt. The, um, go ahead. Nick. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, the, the good thing about that is it's all cosmetic. You know, yeah. when you, like, paint is paint. It's like, paint is not that hard to learn. There are some nuances, obviously, what to do, what not to do. You know, carpet, LVP, landscape cleanup. Anyone can learn landscape cleanup and you know it's 10 15 minutes it's trim bushes pull weeds put some fresh mulch down cut the grass you know we're not doing major landscape design we're not building retaining walls bringing in 35 foot new trees so you don't have to be an expert 
in say landscaping. Um, Whereas if you're a home builder, you got to know, you know, foundation, structure, did they use the right floor joists? Are they using the right hangers? It's very complex. Whereas with cosmetics, we're not pulling permits. We're not pulling codes. Um, It is very easily learned as Derek can attest to. I mean, he's sharp and he picked it up in a couple months, you know, just explaining the basics. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and, um, I'm, I'm glad that that came up because I, I definitely want to make sure that folks listening understand as it is with the vast majority of franchises out there. Like, you know, most franchisors are not really looking specifically for their franchise owners to have prior industry experience. It's more the, the skill set that you have when it comes to, uh, you know, some business acumen, building and managing teams, um, you know, your level of comfort with sales or business development and and also just, you know, thinking big picture, right? I mean, franchisors want franchisees whose goal is to build a big business and to keep growing that business over time, um, not to buy themselves a job. So that that all makes a lot of sense. What about you know, probably the next big question I'm sure a lot of people have is labor, right? And I'm I'm a firm, firm believer that it doesn't matter what business you're in, your biggest challenge will always be finding and keeping good people. Um, talk to me a little bit, though, about your labor model. Are we subcontracting? Are we hiring employees? Is it a combination of both? What is that? kind of look like and and how how would that likely evolve for a new franchise owner what might it need to look like in the beginning and you know what what might it look like at at a little bit more scale yeah um we we believe in the hybrid model for a mature market so that means you know you're going to have a mix of your own internal employees as well as subcontractors so the internal employees in a perfect world are cross-trained to do a variety of tasks, which they like because it keeps their day interesting, where they could do junk removal one day, landscaping the next day, handyman the day after that, et cetera. Yeah. So it keeps it fresh. And that allows you to be very scalable. You're very fluid kind of in scheduling, and you can respond to problems quickly. That being said, when you're just starting out, the goal is to kind of reduce those fixed costs. You don't want to carry heavy salaries while you're trying to build business and build referrals and kind of get that that pipeline going. So we'd recommend franchisees kind of start out with the subcontractor model where we're bringing in resources to help us with painting all the services that we do. We also have a national partnership with Sherwin-Williams, which is open to all of our franchisees, where Sherwin-Williams is going to do the flooring installation and materials you know, for all of our franchisees. Okay. So it at least takes away kind of that service right off the bat. So they just yeah. need to focus on lining up good painters and then kind of getting you know, that ad hoc labor in the funnel as needed. And it works well. That's how we did it with Columbus. That's how we did it with Indy. Cincinnati, we've grown to the point where we have you know, our own internal employees plus our subcontractors. And it just allows you to, you know, scale up so you can respond to any job within a week and ideally do over 40 jobs a month. Yeah, the hybrid makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, certainly I would think you you want to have some people employed internally that that you can, you know, have a little more control over where they are and and what their schedule is is looking like because that's you know one potential downside to contractors is you you to some extent rely on their availability and their schedule but i i think a lot of times when people hear the term subcontractor you know they they their head immediately goes to you know this revolving door of sketchy you know workers that you know God only knows what's what's happening when they walk into your client's house. And that certainly can be the case. But what I've seen with our own businesses and, and a lot of the other franchises I work with that leverage subcontractors as part of their workforce is, you know, if you go about this the right way and, you know, you you bring in the right types of contractors, you set clear expectations, 
you can work with the same subcontractors for a very long time and it can be a very mutually beneficial relationship because I mean, just take a painting crew, for example, it could be flooring. It could be, you know, any of these, but you know, a painting crew that's really, really good at what they do in terms of the, the work itself. A lot of times where they're the weakest is the sales and marketing and keeping their schedule full. Right. So it's great for them if they can partner with someone like a home stretch that, has that sales and marketing piece pretty dialed in and essentially can keep their schedule full. And all they do is show up and do what they're best at and what they would prefer to do. And and they don't have to worry as much about the the sales and marketing side of it. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, you nailed it. Um, the, the gentlemen are, we have five painting crews in Cincinnati. We have two in Columbus. Um, the gentleman who painted our first home in 2019 is still painting with us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so he, we started with him. He's still around. We have a great relationship. Um, you know, I go to his kids' birthday parties, you know, yeah. great guy. Awesome. And they're working with us. You know, they're in the, they're with us almost 40 hours a week, almost every single week. Yeah. Uh, we, we pay quickly. Um, yep. we provide all, we provide all the paint, all the materials, they show up, they do their job. And if there's touch-ups, they come back and do the touch-ups. Um, and it just becomes, it's, it becomes a really great relationship. And then as he got to a point where he was, you know, booked, okay, now it's time to find another painter and you test them on a small job, you know, something that if it does go wrong, you can go in and fix it really quickly. Um, and then, you know, when that person gets booked, then you add another layer and another layer. And so that's how we've scaled the business. And we kind of think of our subcontractors, you know, we treat them like they're internal employees. Um, and same with, you know, bringing up the labor point is we found a lot of success with guys that are doing jobs that are mundane. Um, they're good guys. They're nice people but maybe they're working in a landscape job where they're just, you know, one of our gentlemen, he, uh, he was just working a Bobcat moving mulch from one pile to the other pile, eight hours a day. And the guy's yeah. super smart. I mean, he's, he's, he's since moved on. He's a scientist and, you know, he's a, he's a brilliant guy, but he loved working with us because each day was different. Yeah. You know, another <clears> one of that. our employees. Yeah. Another one of our employees was a manager in a warehouse. And he just got sick of that constant grind. And when people complain about labor, it's always like, well, you pay them poorly and you treat them poorly. You know, what do you expect? Yep. Um, you know, like you're not giving them a lot of, you know, you can't treat people bad and pay them bad. No, uh, not, so we, not if you want to keep them around for long uh, or get the best work out of them. Um, so, and I imagine, you know, some of this goes back to to what we've already touched on, too, which is like, you know, you guys are not doing huge technical projects where you are getting into structural type of work. So I imagine it's it's not the most difficult thing to to train someone on what you would need them to do, you know, especially if you're hiring them as as an employee. Um, so it's it sounds like you guys have clearly had some success in building out your own teams and contractors and and you're in a good position to to really give some good guidance and support to your your new franchisees as they start to to figure that piece out too um i want to be conscious of the time um because i know we're we're coming up on the the amount of time that we'd set aside for this i guess kind of one one final thing I'd love to to have you guys touch on if you don't mind is, you know, what does this need to look like from an infrastructure standpoint for, for a new franchise owner? Like what, what do they need to have in place in order to be able to, to operate? Is there any sort of a, a warehouse or an office space? Um, what, what do you recommend in terms of number of employees? I know some of that is impacted by what the owner's role is, is really going to be in the beginning, but you know, what, what are we looking at to, to get this thing off the ground? Yeah. Great question. So in our FDD, the only requirement we have on space is that within 90 days, the franchisee obtains um, a storage unit space. 
And the purpose of that is just to house equipment and supplies kind of in the early days while the focus is on the business development efforts and kind of building out those referral relationships. So there's not a lot of upfront capital expenditures required on, you know, building out this elaborate warehouse in a space that will eventually come as the business scales. Um, Nick and I started Homestretch kind of out of his truck first, and then we moved into a very small, really gross warehouse that, you know, <laughs> we just laugh at ourselves when we see pictures of it. But now, you know, we're in a very big warehouse because it's a big market. So I think that evolution is going to happen with each of our franchisees. But in the first year or so, while they're trying to kind of build up awareness in the brand, we don't want them to, you know, have these huge fixed costs on space that they don't need. Yeah. So it's just a storage unit. So, um, look, I, I like that you guys have been intentional about, you know, trying to keep the fixed expenses lower for your franchisees. I mean, you know, obviously some businesses are just going to require more of that infrastructure and more upfront investment and, and overhead in, in order to operate. But uh, personally, I'm a big fan of any business that um, can be started really, really lean. And that's not to say that you don't want to scale it and, and add to the infrastructure as the business grows. But I mean, my wife and I's first franchise, we were in our late 20s. You know, we didn't have a whole lot of money, right? I mean, we had a, a friend and a mentor, you know, invest in this with us. And it was kind of like what you guys described. We had a storage unit for the first year, year and a half. And, you know, now we operate out of a 3000 square foot warehouse with office space and numerous, you know, people working out of that office. But it took a lot of pressure off in the very beginning. You know, not only were we not like financially in a position to, you know, do this heavy lift on on a franchise that would have been, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars or more because of everything that that was needed to invest in up front. But it just takes a lot of pressure off, you know, when you can kind of have the freedom to just go out there and focus on building the business and driving revenue instead of thinking about, oh, well, we got to pay rent and we got, you know, all of these different fixed expenses and this this big nut to crack every month. So um, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of, of this type of model, if you guys can't tell. Um, so. Anyways, what uh, what do you guys want the the listeners to know that maybe I haven't asked you guys about or, or touched on? Um, what uh, what if anything would you share as we kind of wrap this up? Yeah, I guess um, you know I would share just you know you're going to get a great you know leadership structure from Derek and I. Um, I've done every single job in this business. Um, I've emptied homes, good, bad, ugly, gross. I've cleaned, you know, I've cleaned showers, I've cleaned toilets. Um, I've done every single job and so is Derek. Um, both of us have completed everything in the company. I've done the sales job. I've done the ops job. I've done the scheduling job. Um, I've always left the finance job to Derek because that's what he excels at. Um, yeah, makes sense. But yeah, you're, you're going to get a lot of support from us. I mean, this is our baby. This is, I feel like everything I've done previously in my life, like led up to home stretch because I've been selling to realtors. I've been in the construction space. Um, and then I just kind of, we had this like aha moment. We're like, all right, this makes sense. This is like, was like, I was meant to do this. And I was like, I was meant to run into Derek and meet a partner. That's awesome. Yeah, that's and wild. All stuff. Yeah. And he's, and he's just like, it's like the peanut butter and jelly. It's, Everything I don't excel at is where he's like a literal, literally a genius in, and it just works so well. Um, so I just want to let, you know, any, you know, franchisee potential people out there know that they're going to get fully supported from us. Um, and we're going to do everything in our ability to make this as big as we can as a, and as successful as we can. Um, so, yeah, we're excited. I'm really excited for the future. Well, I'm excited about it as well. I think it's a great, great concept. You know, you guys are are clearly, um, you know, very, very motivated and qualified to, you know, grow this into something big and something really special. Um, so excited to, uh, you know, see see you guys grow the Homestretch brand. Um, we'll put links to to websites and and things like that uh, in the show notes to to make it easy for people to learn more about home stretch if they are interested but um 
Nick, Derek, really, really appreciate you guys uh, making time to to be here on the podcast and uh, tell the audience a little bit about Homestretch and uh, really love what you guys are doing, what you guys are building, and uh, keep up the great work. And we appreciate that. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. No, it's been a lot of yeah, fun. We, yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.